Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Fight hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Welcome to the Waco History Podcast. I'm Randy Lane, great-grandson of Waco architect Roy E. Lane. Over a hundred years ago, he designed the Alico Building, Hippodrome, and other well-known landmarks. My co-host, Dr. Stephen Sloan of Baylor's Oral History Institute, is helping me learn Waco's known and unknown stories. Come with us on a journey into Waco's past. Cross the Brazos and Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco, I'm safe when I reach San Antonio. Welcome to the very first episode of the Waco History Podcast. I thought we'd start with just kind of explaining who we are, why we wanted to start this podcast, and what people can expect from it. To start off with, I love podcasts. I know you love podcasts too, right? That's right. Yeah, this is really exciting. Thanks, Randy. I'm excited to do this. So my name's Stephen Sloan. I'm a history professor at Baylor University. I also run the Institute for Oral History on campus. And so one of the things we do is we do interviews on local history. So we've done over a thousand oral history interviews related to Waco McLennan County history. And I love looking at the history of the community that I live in, regardless of where that might be. And Waco has a very interesting history. So what is your background? So I'm originally from East Texas. So I'm originally from Henderson, Texas, a smaller town in East Texas. Came to Baylor as an undergrad, went off, got a history PhD. And then my first job was at the University of Southern Mississippi. And so I've been back in Waco now for 11 years. And as you think about Waco, coming back to a town like Waco, you, you want to get involved in the community. And as a historian, one of the problems I had with Waco as I came back is Waco currently is about 25th in the state as far as population. Okay. But they don't have a museum that interprets local history that's open. Mm. We have a soft drink museum. <laughs> we have a mammoth museum. We have all these great museums you can go and visit, but there wasn't a place where you could go and learn about Waco history. Mm -hmm. I am a poor historian, <laughs> and so I can't do a bricks and mortar solution to that, right? <laughs> and so I began to look, and so Waco History, which is an app and a website, wacohistory.org, we started building that as a way to kind of look at the rich history of Waco. So how did that come about? Because that was how I found you. The reason this podcast exists was because I was like, I really want to know about Waco history. I'm sure there's a podcast about it. Somebody has thought about this before me and I couldn't find it. And I was really frustrated. So I said, who in Waco can really fill those gaps in for me? Who knows about history? And I came upon wacohistory.org and it was such an awesome resource. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like an interactive map and you can kind of go around and see what little 
parts of history excite you and then read more and hear more about that. So how did that get started? Yeah, so it's place-based, so you can look at it on your mobile device and move through the landscape that way, or you can sit at your computer. And of course, it's fun to look at analytics and you've got people in China and on the other, oh, yeah? on the other end of the world <laughs> accessing Waco. So, you know, I, I thought if there's a place that needs a fuller understanding of its history, it's Waco, Texas. Yes. There's only a narrow set of things that people associate with Waco, Texas that will go unmentioned here. <laughs> but, you know, and so I'm thinking if there's a place that needs a more robust understanding of its history, it's this place. And what I liked about Waco history is, you know, when people ask me now to do a talk on Waco history, the first question I ask is, what perspective do you want it from? Mm. And that depends on what the history of Waco is. So this offered an approach. You could tell place-based historical stories from multiple perspectives, wherever you're standing in town and whatever position you're standing at in the community. What kind of stuff do you do at Baylor? What does your day-to-day look like? What kind of classes are you teaching? Stuff like that. I teach public history class, and so this would connect to that. It also began a way for students to write and research local history. I wanted them doing that. So they'll write and research entries, and it gave a way for oral histories to be shared another way. So I'm doing interviews all the time. And so no one writes down their thoughts anymore. No one does memoirs (laughs) anymore. And so oral historians work to go out and record these stories and make sure they're preserved. And then we can do all sorts of different things with them Mm -hmm. like this. Yeah. You know, when they're recorded, we're going to hear clips of Roger Conger. We're going to hear clips of people talking about Doris Miller. Those people talking aren't with us anymore, right? but their stories and their experiences can live on if, if they're recorded. I know how I hope people use this podcast. How are you hoping that they use this podcast? I hope they begin to understand that history happened here and history happened all around them. And Waco is a unique place. And I think if we if we know the place we are, it deepens our connection to it and it dip, deepens our appreciation for it. Now, that's my hope that they come to this. They spend some time and they're amazed as I could continue to be amazed on what has happened here. I continue to learn new things. I learned something new today. I mean, I continue (laughs) to learn new things. This is why I love history, Randy. I mean, there's, I can never be, there are people that go to their jobs and they've got down what they're going to do for the rest of their life. How boring. (laughs) I can continue to learn and read and explore and learn new things forever. And so I'm hoping that we take a little slice of that through the lens of Waco and and folks join us on this journey. Now, I'm going to turn around and ask you the question. All right. I know the answer, but the people <laughs> listening don't know the answer. Tell me how you uh, came to do this, because I will go ahead and spoil this. You're not being paid no. to do the Waco History Podcast. We're here after work hours. That's right. And so just tell me what, what gets you excited about doing this, why you're doing it. I told you I love podcasts. I love history podcasts. I love learning stuff. And there's a lot I don't know about Waco, and I really want to learn. So I'm not originally from here. I'm originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. But a lot of my family is from Waco, and or is from Texas. And specifically, I always knew my grandfather was born in Waco. And when I took a step back farther and looked, my great-grandfather was an architect here. And he is somewhat of a famous architect because he designed the Alaco Building, the Hippodrome, the Dr. Pepper Museum, St. Francis on the Brazos church there, all sorts of stuff. The castle, the more I I peel back, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of interesting Lane stuff going on here. So his name was Roy E. Lane. And the biggest thing I had growing up about him is whenever we would travel from Dallas to Austin, we'd stop in Waco and my dad would make me take a picture 
in front of the plaque at the Alico building that talks about how it was designed and the, and the big tornado that tore through downtown. And he'd tell me about this. But I really didn't know much more about Roy E. Lane than that. In my dad's study, he had a picture of this guy on the wall with this funny mustache and a, and a pipe. And that was Roy. And that's really all I knew about him until I moved here. And I was like, wow, there is so much going on. So, you know, it's kind of selfish just to look at your own history. So I was like, let's peel it back and look at all of the history. And for the people at home, I'm really interested in the great stories that this town has. Kind of like you were saying, there's so many interesting perspectives and people that have come and gone through Waco. There's interesting buildings, interesting events, and I don't think we're ever going to run out of stuff to talk about on this podcast. I'm not worried about that. I don't think so. No. So I get to play the professional idiot in the fact that I don't really know much about Waco history, which is why I got you. But my background, I was a uh, former American Forces Network radio DJ in Tokyo. So I'm properly trained in radio production. And I do two podcasts myself, the High Performance Leadership Podcast and the Charity Champions Podcast, which is here locally. So that's what I bring to the table is the technical expertise. And I'm going to lean on you to bring all the knowledge so that you can really blow my mind. And so far, we've recorded two of these that um, will be the next in this series you can listen to. And I will tell you, I've learned amazing things in both. Both times I've gone home to my wife and I'm, I was like, did you know this? Did you know that? <laughs> I did the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> That's what we're doing here. I really want this to be a resource for people. I want people to go back and listen to all the episodes we have. We're going to keep building on it. And I also want people to know we're not going to shy away from the controversial. We want to cover it all. I mean, we were talking about doing a Waco Tragedies podcast of all, all the bad things that have happened here. And I think it's important to see Waco as a whole. Yeah, it is. And I think that's what's wonderful about history. And I, I think we can say our goal here is to understand Waco's history, not necessarily just celebrate right. Waco's history. We want to understand all of it. And you have to promise me <laughs> that we we do an episode on Roy Lane because yes. 1907 to 1936, he is... Waco's architect, and there's so much he's connected to. He deserves a full episode. And we will do that, but I had one little juicy piece of rumor that has always been in my family, and I was hoping you could tell me if it was true or false, so let's do some fact-checking here. I was told that my great-grandfather, Roy E. Lane, used to be a sparring partner with Teddy Roosevelt, and on one occasion, he gave him a black eye. Do you think this is true or false? Okay, so I, I, will, I will confess that I had a little heads up on this question, so I went and did a little research, and, and, and it's well known that, that Roosevelt did box, and he had several sparring partners. One interesting thing about his boxing is we find out later in life that in 1907, he actually suffered a detached retina from one of his sparring partners. I'm not saying it was Roy Lane, but... Uh, but he, he stopped boxing after 1907. So one of the things with the timeline here, I'm not sure where they would have crossed. So Roy Lane was born in, born in 1884. So he would have been about 23 at the time that Roosevelt stopped, laid down the gloves. Right. So I'm not sure Lane wouldn't have been a prominent figure, you know, before 1907. Right. Uh, and, and most in his the heyday of his career is his Waco career. He goes to Dallas in 36. But so I'm saying, I'm not going to say it didn't happen, mm -hmm. but it probably maybe didn't happen. Okay. Excellent. I've got other family that we can talk about later as well. I mean, it's really funny. If you go back in your own family, you can find all sorts of interesting things. There was a, a guy in my family named Napoleon Blackstone and they called him Uncle Nip. <laughs> 
and he was friends with Will Rogers. So wow. you know, there's all sorts of interesting. Okay, history. great. Yeah, <laughs> it's not necessarily Waco history, so we'll we'll stick to the Waco history. Well, I mean, I want to hear more about <laughs> Uncle Nip. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing that's kind of interesting about Waco right now is we're seeing a lot of extra visitors. And I don't think they're here for the history, per se. They may be for a famous couple that is on TV for the most part. But I find it really interesting. There's a lot of people coming to visit. And those people are taking tours. Those people are staying in Waco and doing sightseeing and stuff like that. And I think this is a great opportunity. If people find this podcast, maybe we could give them some of the most historically significant places they could visit while they're here. Because let's be honest, going down to the silos is not going to take you, you know, your entire trip. That's like half a day thing at max. So when you're done with that, what are the places in Waco that you would consider must-sees? Yeah, what a moment to do this podcast, right? <laughs> I mean, there's folks out there in their in their tweens for Waco has always been trending. Right. Uh, you know, that wasn't always the case. Waco wasn't always trending. And so I, I think there's a lot you can see. If I were to start and wanted to kind of just get glimpses of Waco history, I would start where the founding of the settlement started, which is at Indian Springs Park, what we call now Indian Springs Park, but those springs right downtown by the suspension bridge Mm -hmm. where Waco was founded. The village of Waco was founded in 1849, and then the city of Waco was founded in 1856 later on. But that's where they begin. That's where they lay it out. And then you can transition to the suspension bridge behind you in 1870. Then you can look up and down and see the different railroad bridges as as those railroad bridges came in that's prosperity for waco that's cotton right for waco so as you leave downtown if you want to understand cotton you look over and you see what's now ninfas and spice village so some of our warehouse there yeah some of our visitors are going to spice village those are cotton warehouses old cotton warehouses waco was the center of the inland cotton market in Texas. And so prosperity came after the Civil War through cotton. Prosperity for some. And you can leave there, and then you have those, as your great-grandfather, as you mentioned, you have those pillars to Waco's success, like the amicable building. We can look at that now and say that's an impressive building, but when it's constructed, it's an expression of how Waco feels about itself Mm. in Texas and on the national scene. And so you can leave from there. You can look at all the blank space around you and, (laughs) and think about the Waco tornado and what must this have looked like. Even coming off the suspension bridge, there was a very vibrant on Bridge Street was a very vibrant African-American business district right off Bridge Street. And so... Would that be north of the river or...? Uh, it would be south of the river. Okay. Yeah, so kind of where the convention center is now. There was oh, a very vibrant street uh, going through there. And so you see, sometimes it's like uh, stuff is written in pencil and then it's erased. You can kind of faintly see elements of what used to be there and the history that's attached to it. From the suspension bridge... You can see what are now considered tortilla targets uh, <laughs> out in the river. That's the old interurban electric rail line. Yeah, is yeah. one of them is like an observation tower somewhat, right? Yeah, the one with the uh, MLK kind of mural on it. Right. It is an observation tower. So and that, that was a trolley line. That was a trolley line, electric trolley line that, that came from Dallas down to Waco. And then you can look up the river and see I-35 and think about when I-35 comes in or the interstate system comes in, placing Waco on the map once again as a central town and what I-35's meant for the growth of the city. So, I mean, there's it all begins at the river and in many ways 
the moment we're in right now, there's been kind of a rediscovery and a re-embrace of the river. And then it moves out from there. All the communities around Waco that I'm sure will come into this story at points. And so there's a, there's going to be a lot for us to talk about. How does Waco get its name? The Huaco Indians. And that's uh, spelled interestingly, right? Yeah, H-U-A-C-O. And so that original settlement they actually didn't use the river that much, interestingly. Uh, that original settlement is actually over near kind of the Waco Drive area where Helen Marie Taylor Museum used to be open, still sits. And so that was a tribe of, of Native Americans that was here, and that's where we get the name. So they just kind of shortened it and made it easier for people to say? Yes, they, they Anglicized it, <laughs> as, we, as we did with a lot of place names back in the day. Maybe I can throw another bit of, of lore that I've heard. And that the when the Europeans were looking to like settle this area, the Waco Indians told them that because of the river and the, the land in the area, that Waco was not going to be hit by tornadoes. It was not susceptible to that. That was a that was folklore, and but that was a popular belief, and and oftentimes uh, that's the story they tell you before they talk about the 1953 <laughs> tornado. But you know, Waco is an interesting point because it was a crossroads. I mean, it was a crossroads early on. It was a place to forge the river. And so we can take that through why the bridge is there, take that through why the Chisholm Trail comes through there, take that through Waco as a crossroads today, uh, as, as this place between Dallas and Austin that doesn't have the problems of Dallas and Austin and, <laughs> and what that's meant for Waco. And so, yeah, it's always been this kind of crossroads place, and I think it still is that. So I'm going to throw out my ignorance here again. I don't know anything about the Chisholm Trail. Can you kind of give me an overview of that? This is a longer answer than you wanted. <laughs> but years ago when I was writing, when I was getting ready to write my doctoral dissertation, uh, one of my advisors asked me what I wanted to write on, and I said barbed wire. And he said, don't do that. <laughs> and so, so I went off on another topic. <laughs> but a couple of years ago, I got an invitation from the Mayburn Museum to come give a lecture on barbed wire, and I felt like I had really finally arrived had come full circle. Uh, so the Chisholm Trail is this really short-lived but pretty amazing phenomenon of rounding up cattle in South Texas and then driving them to railheads north uh, okay. in, in Kansas. And so it, it's going to run from the late 1860s through the 1870s. Uh, barbed wire comes into the story as it's one of the things that helps. It doesn't kill it, but it's one of the things that helps kill the open range in the Chisholm Trail. So people that own the land are like, please stay off my land when you're bringing your cattle through? Well, as farmers began to move in, and yeah, they didn't want cattles on, cattle on their land. And of course, one of the things that contributed to this is ranchers became convinced of the value of barbed wire, as well as farmers becoming convinced of it. There's so much to go into, and I, I hate to go down any more rabbit holes because I feel like we'll just launch into a full episode Yeah, we're still in the 1860s. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so maybe we'll kind of tease it at that point. Our first two episodes we have coming up, I'm really excited about. The second episode you're going to hear is about Fred A. Gildersleeve, and he was kind of like, if Roy E. Lane was the architect of that time, this guy was the photographer. So you want to talk about him a little bit? Yeah, Gildersleeve is, most folks that are listening have seen a Gildersleeve image. They may not have known it or not. Waco is going to benefit. They really have a kind of a period of time frozen in film. And we have that because this is prolific photographer that was in Waco and taking, he's everywhere and taking pictures of everything. And so uh, luckily we have a lot of his collection uh, at the Texas collection in Baylor. And so Jeff Hunt's going to come and talk about some of his favorites from that collection. 
and also talk about a book they've coming out. They've got coming out on Gildersleeve's career. And it's really interesting because we uh, dive into some kind of risque topics about his background that are little known, but very, very interesting. And we also talk about like the technical aspects of taking photos back then. I mean, we really take it for granted because we all have cameras in our pockets now on our phone, but taking a photo back then was so complicated. And Jeff does a great job about talking about how that process actually worked. So definitely listen to that. And then the next one after that's going to be about Doris Miller, who is a another really well-known Wacoan. Yeah, and what a moment to do it as well. I mean, we've got construction going on on this large memorial to Doris Miller right there on the river. And so as folks there on the suspension bridge, you can look off to your left and see uh, the Dory Miller Memorial being constructed. And so Mike Parrish is going to be with us, who co-authored a book uh, last year on Doris Miller. And really what he's going to do for us more is is make him much more than a statue. He's going to he's going to tell us about the person of Doris Miller, but also give us an idea of the meaning, not just what he did, but the meaning of what he did. And so he's a guy who was in the Navy, African-American, very heroic during the Pearl Harbor attack. So we're going to talk mostly about that and then what he meant as a lasting legacy, right? That's right. And then uh, finally, I wanted to cover, we have an interesting theme song. It's called Cross the Brazos at Waco by Billy Walker. And so Billy Walker has a lot of interesting Waco ties as well. So Billy Walker, so I, I will confess that I did not do my doctoral thesis on Billy Walker. So <laughs> I went out and did some research on Billy Walker, and he's really an, inter- an interesting individual. And he's a performer who kind of bridges this Texas honky-tonk period to the Nashville Sound kind okay. of period. But he has a Waco connection. So Hank Thompson, who's a famous Western swing singer, a Waco local. we got to do a show on Hank Thompson at some point. Okay. Hank Thompson is the one who gets Billy Walker his first recording Excellent. deal, his first record deal, uh, when Walker comes down to uh, Waco to work for Hank Thompson. But Walker, some other things that you want to know about Walker is he was at Hank Williams' last show and at Elvis Presley's first major appearance. <laughs> That's quite a span there. <laughs> and then not only that, so he had a ticket on the plane on which Patsy Cline, Cowboy Copas, and Hacksaw Hankins died. He Mm. had a ticket on that plane, and he traded tickets. It's one of those stories where he traded tickets at the last Mm. moment, took a private plane back. There was some sort of emergency. Uh, Billy Walker lives a long life. He lives till 2006. And so, but he could have been lost in that tragedy. They lost some great Western musicians. So we were thinking about what song we wanted to use, and we, we thought we'd use Billy Walker's Ode to Waco and the Billy Walker Estate. Seems to be agreeable to the yeah. idea. And also I read he was uh, in an orphanage here when he was uh, very little. I'm not sure exactly what happened to his parents, but he was in, in Waco in an orphanage, I believe. So a lot of Waco ties with Billy Walker. That's right. Well, I'm really excited to get started on this journey about learning about Waco history. And thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Please stay with us as we keep going because we're going to keep adding to this. And hopefully everyone can learn a lot. Thanks so much for having the idea, Randy. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco 
performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. We'll see you next time. time ago, as he dropped the guns that she hated in the muddy Brazos below. Cross the Brazos at Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos at Waco, I'll walk straight in old San Antonio. Then the night came alive with gunfire He knew that at last it'd been found As the ranger's badge showed brightly El Bandito lay on the ground Carmela knew he was dying That all of her dreams were in vain As she kissed his lips for the last time she heard him whisper again Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio I'm safe when I reach San Antonio